how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. This week on The Colin and Samir Podcast, we're back. It's been about two months since we last recorded. And on this episode, we talk about where we've been, why we took a break from the podcast, and we talk about some big milestones that we hit on YouTube over the past two months. To be 100% honest, we were a little rusty when we recorded this. I mean, we haven't recorded a podcast in two months, but it was really fun to grab the mics and just have this conversation about what's been going on with us. We've really, really missed recording this podcast. One thing before we get into this episode, if you guys have been checking out the new videos that are coming out on our YouTube channel, first of all, thank you very much. And second of all, we'd love for you to pick out one of those videos and share it. It means so much to us to see all you guys sharing our content. And honestly, it's the best way for new people to find out about the videos that we're making. All right, without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode of the Colin and Samir podcast. So where have we been? It's been two months since you last heard from us. The last episode we recorded was coming off of our movie we made with Yes Theory, which was both one of the hardest projects probably we've ever undertaken, as well as one of the most unique and rewarding. You know what I'll say is, every time we say that one of our projects was one of the toughest we've ever done, and also the most rewarding, we disappear for about a month. So I don't <laughs> think this is that crazy. Yeah, that that's... That's true. Probably true, yeah. Because <laughs> we did it after the NBC project, mm-hmm. which was the toughest, but also very rewarding. Yeah, what's funny is we did the NBC project, um, which if you're new here, to bring you up to speed earlier this year, um, we did a documentary for television on NBC. And then after that, we recently worked on a documentary with our friends at Yes Theory um, that came out in a really unique way. We did it through a pay what's fair model. So the audience actually got to choose the price that they wanted to pay to watch the movie. And that came out on August 11th. The making of that movie turned out to be the hardest project, even though we thought the NBC documentary we had made a couple months before we thought was the hardest. I just think you forget. Yeah. You know, it's like right after it's always the worst and then time passes and it doesn't seem as bad. So the the difference is though, although in past projects when they've been really challenging, we've actually disappeared across all platforms to kind of take a break and and recalibrate. We didn't necessarily do that. Um, We've actually become the most visible we've ever become ever as a, as a brand um, since that documentary on YouTube. And we've had some really interesting milestones since then. Um, we crossed 100,000 subscribers, which was a goal that we've had for a long time on that channel. Um, we've had videos that have done upwards of half a million views. Um, and we've really started to find a more consistent format than we've ever found on YouTube. And to be able to do that, what was required was actually to take a step away from everything else. And as we were making that, that movie, with the S theory and towards the tail end of it, we kind of just looked at each other and said, what if we did just focus on this YouTube channel? Something that we really wanted. At the time we had about 80,000 subscribers two months ago and we said, what if we actually took it really seriously? And what if we really focused on finding a format that makes sense? Well, there was a really strong desire too. I think like coming off of the NBC project and then coming off of the second 
doc with yes theory when you put all of that work into something and it feels amazing but it's not fully yours you're doing it for someone else mm-hmm. so i think you and i both had this this sort of fire to build our own platform or to at least say like i i know like we're putting in all this hard work and that the products are good the the videos are great the films are great couldn't we just what if we just treated our own platforms the same way that we treat other people's platforms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so, so we shifted the focus and decided to kind of take a step back and, and think about what do we want to do on YouTube? What is the format that we've enjoyed the most? And as if you're a, if you're a listener to this podcast from the past you know, year, year and a half, you know that there was a time where we really developed this program that we really loved called The Breakdown. It's kind of an analytical view of things that are happening on YouTube. And so that's what we decided to do. We took to that format. Um, we started putting out videos on a weekly basis and we started seeing an audience come. And all of a sudden we started seeing more audience. And then we picked a topic that had some great scale in, in, in you know, talking about David Dobrik and boom, did 600,000 views. We gained, you know, 10,000 subscribers from that. And then since then things have really picked up where our average viewership is going up and the topics are getting better. We're starting to think more about these things and everything is just moving in the direction of actually having a consistent and uh, growing YouTube channel, which is something we've always wanted. But what was required was to pull everything back. And, you know, this podcast, even though we love it so much, it had to take a back seat for us to be able to put our focus into that. Yeah, when we stopped this podcast, I was loving it the most I had ever yeah. loved it up to that point. Yeah. It was getting so fun, like so conversational. Um, we were discovering new things, I feel like, uh, on the podcast, which was really enjoyable. So I feel almost out of practice right now. I feel like rusty, but also yeah. happy to just be back doing it. Mm-hmm. So how does it feel right now? Like how does the, the, the success uh, on YouTube over the past two months feel right now? Like what does it feel like? I mean, listen, I'm getting stopped on the street. Like, I almost can't go anywhere anymore. It's really, I'm that famous. <laughs> same same sense of humor in case the uh, people were wondering if Colin has gotten funnier since uh, we crossed 100,000 <laughs> subscribers. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's it feels good. It feels like, honestly, just personally, uh, like both you and I have grown in terms of what we know about YouTube. And I always felt like we knew so much and I was so confident about what we knew about YouTube. Um, but really until these last like five, six videos where we really are having a true understanding of picking the right topic, you know, the value of the thumbnail, um, the value of every single second in the video to make sure that people don't click away, like making sure that our arguments are really dialed. I don't think we were putting the same emphasis on any of our videos in the past up until now. So I feel like, personally just um, fulfilled that I feel like I've grown in terms of my knowledge of YouTube, something that I've spent seven years focusing on. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think for me, I feel very validated. Like, of course, I think the reason why you want to get to that 100,000 subscriber mark is just validation. That's like, okay, I'm creating something that people like. And that's a huge part of creativity and, and um, putting out videos on YouTube. Um, but the other side of it is, you know, of course, it's great when you hit a video that does well. But what's even better is when you can do it regularly. And for me, what I got really excited about, or I've been really excited about, is just this 
formula and this format that's starting to um, find an audience and also be really enjoyable to make. That is something I think we've been searching for for three and a half years uh, since we've started the Colin and Smear YouTube channel. So that to me is the most exciting is like, okay, we have a style of video that we like to make that other people like to watch and we can do that regularly. Um, that, that to me is the most exciting. Yeah, it feels really powerful in a way too because we've been building our skills as storytellers for so long, but we were doing so much of it you know, towards the lacrosse audience, which we sort of, we gathered them over the course of four or five years mm -hmm. and we kind of knew things that they would be interested in. But the videos that we're making now and, and the videos that we've been making on the Colin and Samir channel in general, we've sort of been fighting this fight of putting videos out into this like abyss, it felt like in a way, which probably was a little bit of like the wrong way to look at it. But with lacrosse, it was so clear who was on the other end watching these videos. Mm -hmm. And in the Colin and Samir channel, it was a little bit more unclear, especially because you and I were changing our strategy so much. Mm -hmm. um, so what's been really fulfilling is you know, thinking before each video, who's the audience for this video? Um, and how can we ensure that, that they would enjoy it? And then when it's, when the views come through, it's like, oh, well, we found that audience. Mm -hmm. Here they are in the yeah. comments. Yeah. And I think the next iteration is just ensuring that there's a through line across every yeah, video yeah. that, you know, you guys who are on the other side of this podcast even have, uh, you know, a sense of, of what it means to be a Colin and Samir audience member. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a very exciting time. I think if you guys have questions or thoughts around it, you can always tweet at us about, you know, what, what has been going, how we have shifted a strategy that is now finding an audience, um, at, at some level of scale. It's, it's been really fun. And something that I had a conversation today, um, with someone about, you know, just the internet in general is he said something to me that the internet rewards hyper focus. And I thought that was a really interesting comment because it's, it's both from an audience perspective, like the internet rewards if you target a video at a specific audience. Like we, we always used to call it audience of one, or we still call it that, which is yeah. you make a video and you think of the one person you're making the video for. And typically whenever we do that, our videos have the highest viewership. So it's almost like it's the opposite of what you think, like you're making it for one person. But if you keep that person in mind, then it, the video tends to have a bigger reach. Um, but then also the internet rewards hyper-focus is like on your side, from the creator side, once you find that format, don't stray away from it because if you do want to become a creator that is, is building a community and that has an audience, you have to stay on the same track. It's very confusing as an audience member to see a multitude of videos from a creator in today's world. Yeah, well, it's very different than the YouTube of... Casey Neistat vlogging 300 days in a row or whatever he did, um, where it was Eight, like 800, gosh, 800, where you're just watching the Casey show and he can do a tech review on a Tuesday and he can do an unboxing of mail time on another day. And like, you're just tuning in for Casey TV. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like YouTube creators who are trying to do that today are not finding as much success, um, because you have to be even more hyper-focused mm -hmm. with the way that like the algorithm rewards where your videos are placed. So in a way, like if you're a tech YouTuber specifically, that's a great place to be because you know who your audience is and you just have to think before every video, how do I make something that someone interested in tech would be interested in? Not mm -hmm. necessarily like, let's do tech on Tuesday and then let's make a video about my family life, my personal life on Wednesday. Right.
there might still be space for that once you achieve a level of scale. But I think to start, you you do have to stay focused like that. So the, the interesting thing is we've been creating for three and a half years on this channel, but really in the last two months, it feels like we just started mm-hmm. because we found a format that we feel good about. And now you recognize, okay, yeah, we, yes, we crossed a hundred thousand subscribers. Awesome. Yes. We found this format we really like, but any good brand is the equation is consistency over time, right? Once you find it, once you have a viable thing that you're doing, it's consistency over time. So in, in reality to make this thing really fully developed and really have it uh, be really meaningful, it'll take another year of doing this on a very consistent basis. I think the, the interesting news about YouTube, and we talked about this in our Mr. Mr. Beast breakdown, is that the platform is actually rewarding more effort in the storytelling rather than more frequency. So whereas before, like you mentioned, in, in the old older version of YouTube, if you were uploading every day, you were probably getting rewarded for that. But today, actually, you can upload once a week or twice a month, and if the videos are really good, no problem. You'll st- YouTube will still... <laughs> reward your video with as long as I'll, I'll say the caveat is as long as your title and thumbnail right is as clickable as could be because yeah. you could have an incredible like hour-long documentary and it, and it, mm-hmm. it seems like if the title is off and, and the thumbnail is off you just won't succeed true it's amazing I think and I think we've learned a lot from the yes theory guys the importance of finding the right thumbnail and the right title I mean we've seen the behind the scenes sometimes they'll have a video and they will have 15 different options of thumbnail that are mm-hmm. only slightly different. Right. And a bunch of titles that are only slightly different. And they'll put all the combinations together mm-hmm. and like show them to us on a big board and say like, which one yeah. sticks out to you in yeah. an instant. You, you really wouldn't believe the top creators, how much effort goes into the, the title and thumbnail. Like if you're an aspiring YouTube creator and you're like, you're like Colin and Samir, who we've, <laughs> we were doing that for a long time, which is like, you make the video and then you're like, what's, What's a good thumb? Okay, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good thumbnail. That'll do. I mean, we like making videos so much, like the yeah. process of it, that sometimes we would just be like, hey, let's make a video tomorrow. All right. And then yeah. we would meet up and go walk around downtown and, and make, a video. make a video. But we, we were like, what is it about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, maybe we'll just pick this screenshot as the thumbnail and then let's make that the title. So yeah, outside of you know pure focus, what has changed as well is the, the planning ahead of time. Pre-production, the writing, even to the point where the title and thumbnail typically are created before the piece is really fully written or filmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is, it is a totally different strategy than we ever did before. Um, but basically you can start to feel it from a title and thumbnail to be like, is this the right strategy? Uh, sorry, is this the right video to make? Not necessarily strategy. It's interesting too. You you also uh, something that we also did was start to look at videos that have over a million views. Right. right? Start to like, watch videos. Start to watch videos that have over a million views. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we still have yet to do is put out a video on our own channel that has uh, over a million views. Yeah. It's still a goal of ours. Um, and you look at those videos and you start to see some really interesting patterns uh, in terms of like faces in the thumbnail potentially, or f- a lot of them start with why. Mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. are very obviously yeah. naturally curious. Um, a lot of them we were talking start like the science of, right, right. and then it's something that you may not think has science mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of trends that, again, if you want to do something, you have to immerse yourself into it. And so if you want to put out videos that have a million views, you have to immerse yourself in the world of videos that get a million views. 
And I think that's a lot of the value that, that we've gotten out of the last year is getting to work with people who are creating at a, at a high scale. Um, that's, that's been really amazing. Um, getting to tell really complex stories. I mean, the last Yes Theory doc was a very complex story that we had to weave together. And, you know, doing that in a 60-minute time period was, was very challenging. Now you take our bite-sized versions and you start to actually uh, all, use all those muscles that you just built from telling a really complex story over 60 minutes and be able to put it into four minutes or five minutes and make more confident decisions in the storytelling. That's like a, a really great benefit of working on the longer form stuff. Yeah, I think throughout all of this, I've really realized uh, how much I love writing. Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed writing in high school and in college, but you have to flex your writing ability every time you make a film or a video. Right. And I remember being taught in high school, like once you come up with your thesis statement, every single sentence that comes after, every word has to support that thesis statement because if it doesn't, it just it distracts the reader or the right. audience member from your main point. And we've started to really hyper-focus on that too in our editing and in our writing, making sure like, well, yeah, even though we think that's a really cool point, that actually may not contribute to our argument. And we've been doing a better job of just taking those, those maybe 10 seconds out, even though we really think it's a cool thing. It just doesn't fit the argument. Mm-hmm. So now, like where, uh, you know, we've, we've gone on this podcast and talked about, you know, like you said, when we work on a really tough project, sometimes we disappear because we need a break and we need to take some time off of creating. Like at the stage we're at right now, how does it feel to be at the bottom of a hill and look up of it? Look, look up and be like, wow, we, we are just starting on this journey of, of going down this path of, of being creators, being filmmakers, like really starting this journey to make this to make this a, a lifestyle reality? Well, I have a lot more peace of mind than I used to, I think, because I know that it's working. Hmm. And I'm starting to understand and be able to predict a little bit like whether a video will do well or not. Right. And if it doesn't do well, I have a pretty good idea of why it didn't do well. And I don't think I had that in the past. So, I mean, I, I think you spoke to this before on, a, on another podcast, but about you know when you're putting a lot of effort, but you're also uncertain mm-hmm. how stressful that can be. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're not certain of what you're doing, but you're working really hard every day. Yeah. When you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, it gets really hard. Like when you're putting in so much effort, but you don't really know what's on the other side. That's, that's when I think burnout happens if you, if you have no idea. Yeah. So yeah. I have a little bit more peace of mind right now. It is, I guess, I guess it's daunting, but it's not really, I mean, this whole thing is like a continual process. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's all going to take years and years and years. And there's really no, what's the end goal? Yeah, the end goal is just to do this more and be able to support yourself. Keep supporting your life. Yeah, that's that's really it. Yeah, I I, I read in a book that like if you if your goal is to become an artist, once you become a working artist, if you're not happy there, then you're probably not going to be happy with what's next. And that what that means is you're making a living wage creating art. So a lot of in the context of the book, it was about being an actor. And there's a guy who got to act and he worked as a waiter and the waiting job paid enough money for him to act. And so that was the example of like, if you love that because the being a waiter is enabling the fact that you can do your art and you're happy in that moment, then you're prepared for any version of success if it does come outside of that. But that is actually the definition of success for an artist at the, at the core level. 
to become a working artist. Mm-hmm. Because being an artist is a very challenging career path, right? Like a lot of people have to value art in a like a, a, a financial sense for it to work out for you. And then you have to find the people who do value the art and then find the people who value your art. And that is, a, that is a very challenging thing to do because you have to spend your time on the art and then you have to figure out how you spend their time finding the people who care about the art enough to uh, write a check for the art in some way, shape, or form. So once you find it at a certain scale, basically the, the suggestion is you should be content uh, because anything that happens next is just the same thing. It's more of the it's same. It's more of the same. Yeah, yeah it's, it's okay. Now you get to live a little bit better by doing your art. Yeah, and live a little bit better by doing your art. I think overall, both you and I, from what I can tell, are far happier than we were probably a year ago. Mm-hmm. I think there was way more uncertainty a year ago, just creating in a, in a sense of like, even even now that you, we have a strategy that we believe in, you know? Yeah. And I think it goes back to this focus, planning ahead of time, spending the time on strategy. I, I wrote something uh, down in my notebook the other day that um, we were talking about how, you know, attention is the, is the primary thing that everyone's trading on right now, right? Like on the internet, if you have a lot of attention, then most likely you can uh, generate enough money to then create more content that might get more attention, which then might lead you to more things. Like that attention is the thing that, that matters. That's why viewership matters, why subscribers matter. And what I started to think about is, okay, well, how do you, how do you get attention? Typically, a good idea can draw a lot of attention, right? A good idea that's, that's put into tangible form can draw a lot of attention. Now, how do you develop a good idea? Typically, you develop a good idea when you're in like a very relaxed or like, at least me, a very relaxed and like creative state. You have to get yourself into that creative state where you can imagine something. Yeah. You have to be fairly relaxed. You have to be, uh, and typically you have to spend a lot of time on it like really developing that idea properly. So then you have to take one more step back and say, how do I put myself into that situation where I have the time to develop this idea? Any, any idea that happens in too big of a rush for us, speaking from our experience, typically doesn't. Like any time that you described where we're like, you know what, man, let's make a video tomorrow. Like it feels good. It's like dope. We made a video. That's awesome. That was really cool. But it typically never hit any sort of like scale or had it drew, drew a ton of attention, which is the, yeah. at the end of the day, a, a big part of the goal of what we're doing. A lot of times though, I feel like in today's age, like attention is just a new conversation that's being had. Like a good idea. A lot of our best videos, in my opinion, are videos that start a conversation that probably was not had before. Like the video about David Dobrik argues that, you know, David Dobrik laughs so much from behind the camera because it's essentially like the sitcom Mm -hmm. model and sitcoms use laugh tracks. And we, we compare David Dobrik to a sitcom and, and give you that kind of case study. That was a novel argument, like a first time sort of argument presented into the world. And therefore there was a lot of conversation about it. It also caught the attention of David Dobrik, which drew, drew, that helps. Yeah, which drew a lot of the viewership, which is very nice of him to uh, to promote the video. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that when you when you spent, we spent a lot of time writing that vid, that video. Yeah. We spent a lot of time. That, that, for that one and um, the Apple one, from a pre-production standpoint, were our two tightest scripts. 
Um, that one, though, the Dobrik one, we also came up with the thesis and the idea, and then we looked online to see if it existed. Mm-hmm. And there were some sort of tangential like nods right. to sitcoms, but nothing uh, necessarily like what we had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so that all of that pre-work makes it a really good idea, right? Like we were validating ourselves, like this is a good idea, this is a good idea, this is a good idea. And it was probably our best idea to date, most developed idea to, the, to date. Yeah. And therefore, it drew the attention of not only a mass amount of people, but also the right guy. Like without Dobrik promoting it, probably still does 100, 200,000 views. When you look at our Mr. Beast video, it did 300,000 views. But with you know, Dobrik. He was the audience out. of one. Yeah, he was the audience of one. When when we make videos like that, when we're talking about a specific creator, a lot of times we're just thinking like, will that one creator find this, a new concept about them and think that it's a very interesting way? Like we're trying to get their attention. What I want to ask you though is like, what do you think changed? Because we've been doing this for seven years and then specifically on this channel for three and a half years, we've intermittently been making YouTube videos and uh, making documentaries but what changed this time all of a sudden? Like this is obviously clearly an inflection mm-hmm. point. Yeah. We've never, ever committed to a style. Ever. We've never made eight videos in a row in the exact same style. Ever. But what do you think it was coming off of the Yes Theory doc that was like, oh, okay, it was now being, it's time. It was being fed up. It was being burnt out. Which is funny that we turned to creating when we're, we're that burnt out. But I think we were burnt out because you couldn't see a... a, a no control. We, we, we've just always wanted to have our own platform. You know, it's not that I don't like. I will. We will probably always work with other people. That's a that's a huge part of our DNA. But the desire to have our own platform is so strong for so long that going through that process at the end, it was just like this inflection point, right? And I I was listening to this podcast, and Jordan Belfort says that change happens in an instant. It, he said you could want something, but until you're so so beaten down by something something in the world, you're not going to take any sort of action. And then once you do, change just happens in an instant. What does beaten down look like for, from that experience? Like from the, from the documentary, the last one? Well, I mean, I could, if you were in the room with us after 48 hours of not sleeping, you would like visually see what that looks like. I probably have a photo of you (laughs) from that, but there there are videos of me that I don't even remember because I'm so out of it from not sleeping. And I think you almost had like a panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really hard time. I had a really hard time that day. The first time ever in, in my life, like really experiencing anything like that, where I felt so helpless when this all has to do with the software, not working and trying to get this documentary out. Um, but I think what it really looks like is just when you get to the point where you're like, I cannot imagine a world where I don't try this because I am so not, like, I, I don't know how to, I don't want to put this in a way that suggests that we don't, we were, we were so unhappy working on someone else's documentary, because that's not necessarily the case. But it's really that we were so unhappy not having our own platform. You know, coming off of that, you're so like, how come we haven't figured this out? Well, I think what's really cool about working with Yes Theory when we do is that like, uh, or when we did the NBC documentary, you're able to do something that's bigger than yourself which is really exciting. And like, yes, theory has this platform and can make films and make statements and share ideas that are far bigger than, you know, the the three or four guys in their Mm -hmm. office because they're able to bring on huge teams. Um, and because they've invested years and years into growing this platform. So it's, 
I think that too was part of it. It was like, I think we're, we know we're capable. We work all the time with teams and we do these things and it was, it's always so enjoyable to be the people actually at the top who are bringing your own community together Mm -hmm. to make something bigger than yourself. And it's definitely feels super good to do it as a part of yes theory, but there's a totally different experience when you're pulling every string that's to put it together. Yeah. There's a line from one of my favorite movies. You're like the quote man right now. Yeah. Just it's making me think of a lot of things, but, um, if you don't know this about me, I love gangster movies, like old 50s Italian mobster movies. Like Goodfellas is my absolute favorite movie ever. You got it for me on Blu-ray. <laughs> That's how long Colin and I have known each other. I bought Colin Goodfellas on Blu-ray. Who has a Blu-ray player, man? You, you could put it into any DVD player. Yeah, also, I bet you no one even knows what a DVD is on this podcast. So, okay. Uh, I, I loved the movie when I was a kid, A Bronx Tale. Have you ever seen that movie? No, but I know of it. Okay. Anyway, he just looks at, Robert De Niro looks at his son in that movie when he's, when he's really young and he looks at him and he goes, the worst thing in the world is wasted talent. And when I was a kid, that really struck me. I was like, Ooh, man, I never want to feel like that. Like I never want to feel like, like wasted talent. And, uh, that has always shaken me like constantly. And I think I did made a video about, um, another Robert De Niro movie on my 29th birthday on our channel where I talk about like, he's like, you could have been, you could have been a contender. Yeah, You could have been a contender like that for me. There's always something in the back of my mind. That's like, I can't go this long without feeling like I am, you know, I truly feel like I, I have it in me to be a contender or like to do whatever. I don't know how to explain that better, but to showcase the talent as much as possible. Um, and so I think that that for me after that was just like this point of like, I know we, I, why, why is this not working? Like, I know we can do this. I know there's something here. Um, and I think also sitting with the yes guys, they're super motivational. Matt is someone we sit and talk to all the time and they really want us to succeed uh, as independent creators. And so they push us a lot to just take this stuff really seriously. So I think there was a mix of all of that stuff through that whole process, but that it is true that change happens in an instant. If you're, if you're someone who's sitting there and it's just like frustrated creatively, like it can happen and it can happen really fast, but you know, you really have to, once you really take it, like you just you need to get really notes. frustrated. Yeah. You gotta, there has to be something that happens that just pushes you to be like, you know what? You're right. I got it. It could be this right now. Just being like, wow, you are right. I need to wake up tomorrow. And like, I just have to take it way more seriously. Um, Mike Posner, who is uh, a rapper currently like walking across the country. You've obviously been following him on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have as well. He put out a post, I think today, um, where he talked about how, you know, a friend of his asked like, what's the one thing you learned about yourself from, from undertaking this massive journey of trying to walk across the country? And I think he's in Arizona right now, but it's been really strenuous. He's like been bitten by a rattlesnake and it, it, from what I understand, it actually is, it's very tough, even though it's just walking, to walk that many miles every day. Um, and he said that the one thing he's learned uh, is that, like, he, he can't stop because he hasn't hit, like, the most amount of struggle, I guess, that he could hit. Like, he is something about understanding the true value of struggle, that, like, he can't wait to finish because when he knows, like, on the other end of this struggle that's when he learns the most about himself. So he was like, I can't tell you necessarily yet what I've learned the most, but I know it's going to come 
hmm. when this struggle hits like total rock bottom and I finish. That's really interesting. If you guys aren't following this, you should definitely check it out on, uh, on Instagram at Mike Posner. Um, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a, a documentary to be made here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of people following it and, uh, something really interesting that, that, that he's doing and such, so many cool stories right now out there, um, in the world. I wonder how it, it, as we go forward, like we balance all of these different things. Cause you know, when we first started creating, it was like, yeah, I want to have a podcast and yeah, I want to make YouTube videos and yeah, I want to make really good Instagram content and yeah, I want to make documentary films. And you know, what we just learned, the biggest lesson was, okay, well, if you focus on one of them, you can really get it going. Like that's to, how, how do you do like in the world that is so just diverse from a content perspective, how do you do all of it as an independent creator or, or what do you do? Do you just do one? Yeah, I think you start probably with one, but the best thing you can do is understand why you're doing it and who you're doing it for. As our audience gets more defined, it still is going to get even more defined. Um, but as your audience gets more defined, it gets way easier to come up with good ideas. Mm -hmm. And once you have that stability of like your why, then you can start potentially collaborating with other people and working with editors and people that are interested in helping you achieve these things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and hopefully it starts to take less time to have a bigger impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, this podcast is one of my favorite things we do. It's like one of the best things that has come out of us, like really the past couple of years for me. But it's like, it's really important right now that our focus is on YouTube. So I can't even say that how regular this podcast will be now moving forward. But I, I you know, we've heard from a lot of you guys that, that you missed the show and, and we miss it uh, just as much. So I think we'll try and bring it to you as much as we possibly can. We're going to Vid Summit in two weeks here in LA or next week, um, which is really exciting. So if anyone is listening and you are going to Vid Summit, hit us up. Uh, we'd love to hang out and there's going to be a lot of creators there. There's going to be a lot of uh, people who work in YouTube there. It should be really awesome. And I'm, we'll probably do an episode from there or something that reflects on that experience. Um, if you've been following along with the YouTube channel and you have questions for us or you're really interested in hearing specifically anything that uh, that we've been going through, anything you know that, that you're interested in, um, you can also ask us those questions and we'd be happy to address them on a podcast in the future. Um, and although so much has changed, so much has not changed. We still, I'm still getting the iced long blacks and adding oat milk myself. It, it does appear that you have gone to an all carb diet. You're going to out me like that on this <laughs> I'm just podcast. saying, man, it's a big yeah. loaf well, of bread okay, here's here. Here's the thing. Is I, type I, of honey. I also moved and uh, I've moved next to a very popular bakery. And it's not my fault that I am incredibly friendly and warm and people just really enjoy giving me things. I got nothing wrong with bread, man. You know what's great is that you're getting so much bread for free yeah. right now that I'm getting bread. Isn't there I'm going to go home tonight with two bagels. I mean, fresh baked bagels. All I can tell you is that we're getting views and we're getting this bread. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Bread, man. <laughs> That's it this week for the Colin and Samir podcast. Honestly, it was just so good to pick up the mics and have a conversation. It's, it's so powerful for Colin and I to actually have this tool where we get to reflect and discuss some of the things that are happening in our day-to-day. -day. And the best part is whenever we put out the podcast, the feedback that we get from you guys, whether it's the emails or the tweets or Instagram DMs, one of the best parts of, of being a creator is actually getting to connect with the community that is 
consuming our content and that we actually get to create with. We're, we're very, very inspired by all of you guys who have been sending us messages. So just wanted to say thank you for that. All right, we will see you guys back here soon. We will be recording more podcasts, so stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram to find out about what we are up to and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And again, if you're liking any of the content over there or something's really resonating with you, we'd really appreciate it if you share our videos.